Well, good morning, Gospel Hope. Um, as you've already heard, we are continuing in our series entitled Joyful, but with kind of a different overlay as we celebrate what? Serve Sunday. Now, for those of you who have not been around Gospel Hope for a particular Serve Sunday, Serve Sunday is just a space that we've created on the calendar every year to really underscore uh, one of our six identities, and that is servant leadership. You can see it on the banner up here to my right, your left. Uh, but the ability to serve and to lead through that is a crucial part of a believer's sanctification. And so it is our desire as a church to create as much opportunity for that to formally happen. We know that some service opportunities happen organically, just in the spaces where you live, just out of the natural overflow of who you are. But we believe that the church is also responsible for creating a context where you can serve and serve in godly ways that meet very specific needs. And so, uh, as my brother Bernard pointed out, uh, there are going to be uh, about uh, three different moments in today's message that will be highly interactive, uh, where you actually are going to participate in the message. Uh, it won't be through... Uh, applause or amens. Uh, it will be in some other ways that will be kind of guided by me, and I hope you will enjoy it. So again, a little bit of a uh, little non-traditional style of what we're going to do. So if this is your first time here, you know, I want you to walk away going, oh my gosh, you know, I don't ever want to do that again. Uh, so please come back and give us another shot if you don't like it. Um, well, let's pray. Um, Father, in the name of Jesus, I am excited to stand before your people and to stand before you and to be able to serve. Lord God, I stand here just like a waiter uh, before Heaven's Kitchen, and my only goal is just to get this meal to the table while it is yet hot. Could you help me, please, oh God? These are not my meals. These are your original recipes. Would you teach me and show me, Lord God, how to just be responsible with what you have already made? Uh, help me, Jesus. Um, help your people. Uh, cultivate our hearts now to hear from you um, so that we might become exactly what the scriptures call us to be. You are looking for worshipers who will worship you in spirit and in truth. Expand our view of you that we might become more refined worshipers. Your word says uh, that you are uh, looking to seek and save those that are lost. Oh, God, if I'm lost, if we're lost, uh, help us to step up, Lord God, and to find ourselves in your grace and place faith in your finished work. Heavenly Father, your spirit is looking for those to occupy by which we cry, Abba, Father. There are those of us, Heavenly Father, that uh, just need to give ourselves more completely to the leading of your Holy Spirit. Would you do that in our lives? I can stand here, Lord God, and work my way through a full menu of human needs, but you know each and every one of them, as my brother has already declared, you knew them before the foundation of the world. I just now want to move out of the way and be used by you to facilitate whatever need meeting you want uh, to have happen in this moment. Um, we just desire an encounter with you. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brother Marcus. I always love a hearty amen and yes from you. All right. And others in the room. Well, well hey, um, in a not-so-recent past, not-so-recent past, um, I actually contemplated uh, purchasing or investing in a franchise, a franchise of restaurants. And, uh, and the reason for that is just kind of as a part of my, uh, under my hood, in my DNA, wherever I see myself as a hefty consumer, I get this angst, uh, not anxiety, but just this thing that says, how can I transition from being just a consumer to actually being an owner? Like, if I love this and like this, what does it mean to be a part of this? And so that undergirds my investment behaviors. Like, I only invest in stuff that I use and like so that I, my passion stays aligned with how, what I'm purchasing. Uh, and then, of course, I like to eat. If anybody knows me, if you have about a 15-minute conversation, I'm gonna, you're probably going to leave with three restaurant or so recommendations. Uh, I wouldn't call myself a foodie. I'm an eatie. 
I just like to eat. You know, it's not that sophisticated, you know what I mean? Uh, but, but nevertheless, so I had just a handful of restaurant types, and I was like, man, I could do this. I could do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I began to do some research, started investigating what it might look like to own a restaurant or something like that. Not no rando restaurant. Like, I don't want to build nothing from scratch. I wanted to just kind of invest in something. Uh, and... Um, and so as I began to go through these restaurants, and they were on, I mean, varying ends of the, of the, of the spectrum, right? Um, and uh, I'd look at one, and I'd look at, you know, kind of what the, you know, the, the capital requirements were, you know, liquid assets, uh, net worth, blah, 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 you know, how much corporate involvement is in, you know, how much does the, the big, you know, uh, you know the, the larger organization participate in marketing and making that thing happen and looking at all that. And, and uh, so, but, but regardless of what I discovered in terms of the economics and in the process, there was this one little piece, this one piece that I found to be so subtle but incredibly intriguing about all of these restaurants, about all of these opportunities. And I'm going to share it with you. This one little piece, this one little piece, it was that every one of the franchises, and I don't care if it was something as greasy as a Waffle House or something as glorious as a Chick-fil-A and all points in between, I don't care what it was, there was this little requirement that you couldn't just, like, drop cash you know, and be like, boom, all right, that's my shop. And you just sitting at the crib smoking a cigar going, and I tell Laquita to cut down on the salt on the fries. And, uh, you know, tell James to iron his uniform. I'll be in the back. You know, you, you couldn't do it. You couldn't be hands off. Every one of them demanded that you be inside of your stores actively a part of the service. And I found it to be so intriguing that these restaurants have figured out that the, the, the best case scenario for creating an incredible service experience is that the owners need to be actively involved in creating that culture. And so I wanted to test that. I began going back to these restaurants and looking around to see if I could identify the owner operator. And sure enough, I found them. Oh, I'd be sitting there just kind of spinning around on my stool, you know, just using my sleeve to wipe away some debris that the, the waitress didn't get. You know, it's like that at one of my favorite spots. And I'd see a guy over there making eggs, just kind of joyfully not complaining, taking orders at a million miles an hour, stirring the grits. And he'd do that, and he might talk to this person and talk to that person, and he was killing it on the grill. And then he'd get out and go get in a Z06 Corvette. And I'm like, what just happened here? I'd be, at a, I'd be at another place, and I'd, I'd uh, just pay attention. I'd sit there for a while, and I'd watch the restaurant run. And I, I, would, I would see a guy on the mop, but his shoes were just way too shiny for a regular mop guy. And I would follow him, and I'd be like, huh, that's the owner. And I would do this over and over again at each one of these restaurants. And I begin to realize that these, these owners who were also servers were really embodying something very beautiful where it is that, that service is not just a great example, but it is also a great expectation. And that is actually the thrust of today's message, that, that, that the mind of Christ is more than just a great example. It is also a great expectation. So with that in mind, I want you to read with me again or listen to me again as I read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and see if you can also see where this great and high, beautiful example of Jesus serving, even though he's the owner-operator of the church, right, still, but he's right there on the mops, right? He's right there busting tables. He's in, the tree, he's, he's in there with us, but watch this and see if you can see it. 
So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection uh, and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. Have this mind in you amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ or in Jesus, who through, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the, the, the name of Jesus, that at that name, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There are three big ideas that I want to survey here for you today. Uh, they're going to make up today's message as we explore why this mind of Christ that we just beautifully read isn't just an incredible example. You look at Jesus and this is, this is powerful stuff like, ooh, look at Jesus, right? But, it, but the mind of Christ is more than a great example. We find out that this mind is also supposed to live in us. Let it also live in you. Therefore, it's not just a great example. It's also a great gospel expectation. And there are three pillar principles that I want to point out for you that I believe will be helpful to us practicing this kind of mind. You ready? Number one, we see Jesus setting aside his own reputation. Okay? Number two, we're going to explore how it is that he steps inside our situation. And number three, we're going to look at how it is that Jesus satisfies our greatest need and obligation. I believe that these three pillar principles, that if we would practice them, we would at least be well on our way to embodying the mind of Christ, specifically in the way that we serve. If you miss them, um, I'm going to be walking through them more slowly in just a moment. Now, just in case you're wondering where it is that Jesus might have embodied these kinds of principles of setting aside his own reputation, remember what the passage told us in, in verse 5, that Jesus did not consider his equality, this equality with the Father, a thing to be grasped. It wasn't that he hid it or made it top secret, because clearly Jesus would say in public preaching moments before Abraham was, I am. Clearly, Jesus would, in certain moments, forgive people's sins and let folks know that he was operating in divine prerogatives. Clearly, Jesus would, on a regular basis, do things that, that only God could do. So it wasn't as if this idea of his deity was some kind of close-kept secret. It's just that he wanted to be, it to be disclosed in a very specific way. And so, but, but, but how is it that Jesus would allow this great reputation to somehow be set aside for the sake of service. Let me give you some examples. Number one, we see Jesus as he breaks onto the scene as an adult choosing to occupy an incredibly underwhelming career as a carpenter. Did you notice that when Jesus was noted as a carpenter from his respective city, nobody said that with, 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 cheeks, with high cheeks and raised eyebrows? They weren't like, man, he's a carpenter. Notice they said that as a pejorative. SAT word for anybody listening, that means like it's a negative, right? Right? 
It's a pejorative that he was a carpenter. Nobody was high-fiving and thinking that was an awesome thing. But here it is, Jesus, who has absolutely no limitations on his capacity because he created and made all things, choosing to come as a carpenter. Not only did Jesus do that by setting aside some of his reputation, he also would entertain the audiences of people like the Syrophoenician woman, well outside the boundaries of covenantal uh, uh, protocol. He would uh, interact with the Samaritan woman at the well who even his disciples walked up on the two of them with raised eyebrows like, hmm, what's going on here? Even the lady herself, when she approached Jesus, said, the two of us is not supposed to talk. I'm just over here getting my water. What you doing? Bucketless. You guys remember the story? These are only funny if you read your Bible. All right. <laughs> I have some lighter stuff coming just in case you don't. I promise. But anybody remember Legion? Remember Legion? That was a big deal. Jesus got on a boat after a full day of preaching, and he did take a small nap like I do, but he, he, he got up, right, storm on the way, gets to the other side of the sea, meets up with a demon-possessed man that meets him right on the coast, a demon-possessed man who is a Gentile hanging out in a graveyard, quadruple or double no-no for a good Jewish man trying to maintain a, a clean reputation. He should not be hanging out near cadavers, dead bodies, SAT word again, right? He should not be hanging out with a cadaver. He should not be hanging out anywhere near pigs. But the pigs were right there, and that's who he pulled, you know, pulled the demons out of and put them in there. And he had full fellowship with this guy who was not in his right mind. Jesus would do all kinds of stuff, setting his reputation aside, that you would think he would be some kind of superlative person, again, sitting in the back halls of the synagogue on a cigar, telling people not to put so much salt on the fries. But no, Jesus decides to get directly involved, forgiving a woman who was caught in adultery. You guys remember that? That was a scandalous situation. That was the stuff of Netflix. A woman caught in the very act, and everyone was prepared to stone her. It was the death penalty was on deck. And Jesus was willing to come to her aid, reputation set aside. This would clearly bring into question whether or not Jesus actually knew the law in the minds of some. Jesus would heal a woman who had an issue of blood. If you knew anything about being a great Jew and it followed the law, she should not be in public touching anyone. Not pressing against folks in a crowd. Jesus turns around, could have easily just kind of like, all right, you're healed. And just kept moving. No, he made a deal about it. He turned around and let the whole audience know, somebody touched me. And he didn't call her out or embarrass her. He healed her. Jesus sets his reputation aside in order to, to serve. He touched and healed lepers. That's a big no-no if you know your Old Testament. He would sit down and eat with sinners. But then the coup de gras, which you probably didn't learn until you really, I don't know if coup de gras is on the SAT, but it's just a good word to know. But then on, in Acts chapter 2, the people, there's this little note. Luke says, look at these men, these unlearned men who hang out with Jesus. Jesus' disciples were noted as unlearned. So Jesus chooses to turn the world upside down through an unlearned crew, folks that don't even have degrees, not even certificates, not even journeymen. They weren't even enrolled. <laughs> and then Jesus sets his reputation aside and does what? Washes their feet. What a staggering example. But according to Philippians, it's not an example. It's actually a gospel expectation. It's a gospel expectation that I think forms itself in this question. How is your prowess empowering your service? Jesus leveraged his prowess 
to empower his service. I look out in the audience and I see my brother Joshua Pune back from a six-week journey into Nepal. Five-week? Uh, amen. Five weeks, right? Now, I want you to hear this. Joshua could clearly sit here in the cozy comforts of his American home and soak up all the prowess of the, you know, the, the American pie. But he chooses to leverage that prowess to actually empower his service. He's constantly going back to serve his people in Nepal. Jesus, likewise, on the cross, I'm not saying that Joshua and Jesus are the same person, just, you know, some man, and I figured it would be a great opportunity to know that it's happening live among us. But, but I want you to just kind of turn toward each other now. People sitting next to you, I want you to just really work through this question. Here's the interactive, we are part of the message. Turn to your neighbor, if you will. I'm going to put on some house music. I'm just going to walk around up here and watch you. But I want you to turn to your neighbor and ask the question, how is your prowess empowering your service? Your prowess is the thing that you do well, the, th the thing that you bring to the table. I don't care if you're, you're cute, you're funny, you cook well. You've, you're an acrobat. I don't care what it is. How is your prowess empowering your service? The thing that people celebrate and compliment about you, how is your prowess empowering your service? I, inquiry minds want to know. Ask the person next to you. We're going to put on some house music. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to give you some guardrails. It is very easy on a question like this to turn to each other and start enumerating how people with prowess should use it to empower their service, like these anecdotal other folks that are in the room not for the message. No, how is your prowess, your prowess empowering your service? Don't, don't, you understand what I'm saying? That makes the question a little bit harder. So house music, let's take a few minutes and discuss that. Uh, keep thinking about it because there are going to be two more opportunities to engage in this way throughout the course of the message. Now, remember, we said that the kind of the capstone here is that the mind of Christ is more than a great example. It is also a great gospel expectation uh, for all of us. Now, we just covered how it is that Jesus set aside his own reputation in order to use his prowess to empower his service. But there's something else also happening in this passage. If you look with me in verse 7, uh, but I like to get a little bit of a running start. It just feels better. Look at verse 5. Um, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in form, even though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse seven, the biggie. Here we go. But emptied himself. How did he empty himself? Do you say, do you say uh, by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men? Two big ideas. Jesus was both born and formed. He was born in the likeness of men, but formed in the likeness of a servant. Why is this important? Because this is how the father chose to have the son to step inside the human situation. Stepping or standing inside the human situation is such a necessary part of serving well. You can serve in a very obligatory way. We've all been to that restaurant where you could tell that the person was just there to get a check and get this over with in the way that you received your Coke, right? Or the way that you received your question or your inquiry about where's our meal. You felt that. You felt a person who was serving in an obligatory way but seemed to have never been a customer themselves. Have you ever felt that? 
Yes, 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 yes. And so now what's interesting, and this always just kind of blew my socks off as a teenager when I would read about Jesus in the scripture, having a very high view of the Lord Jesus, and it remained high, but it was, I had to really work through this text. Hebrews chapter five, verse eight says, although he was a son, we're talking to Jesus, he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey. I was like, what? Jesus had like some extra stuff he had to do. Like, like, like I view Jesus as having no lack and I still do view him as having no lack. But as I wrestled with that text, the first like mind-blowing conclusion was this. If Jesus, if the father felt that Jesus needed to encounter certain gritty or, or difficult things in order to further fill out his sympathy and affection for his people that he came to save, how much more does he expect that of me? I remember at the age of 12 or somewhere thereabouts, I think it was maybe the year before, uh, maybe 10, uh, that my grandmother uh, in a bout with diabetes um, or diabetes, depending if you're from South Carolina or North Carolina, uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) my grandmother (laughs) um, ended up uh, um, losing one of her limbs. And uh, so, when she, so when grandma came home, she came home with all of these uh, other devices. She came home with like a wheelchair and a walker and stuff like that. And, you know, I had seen that stuff on General Hospital or um, uh, I had also seen it when I would go visit people in the hospital, but I had never had a wheelchair and a walker in my house. And you know, if you know anything about me from previous messages, that boy was going to get ridden. Right? <laughs> so, so while we were waiting on grandma to get fitted for her prosthesis, which she did, and she didn't need that stuff anymore, the wheelchair and the, and the walker became, you know, you know, jungle gyms for us. And so one day I challenged myself. I was like, man, I want to see if I could just like navigate everywhere in the house. I'm just going to try like, like for the next four hours. I'm just going to act as if my legs don't work. And I'm going to get in this wheelchair. And so I would go from like the foyer, try to get out the house, go through the door. I would, you know, how do I get to the kitchen, to the bathroom? And I mean, I'm just tearing my knuckles up on the inside of doors and, you know, and stuff like that. And I had fun. I popped wheelies and almost, you know, flipped over and stuff like that, trying to understand how this whole thing worked. But, but, but what was amazing is I just recognized how difficult it was to navigate in this wheelchair. And I never forgot that. That was, I won't tell, but that was a lot of years ago. But even to this day, when I see a person in a wheelchair trying to move between rooms, I remember my knuckles getting beat up. And I was like, ooh, ooh, and I'm looking at them, like, make sure they put their hands on top of the wheels. Uh, or either they got one of these, like, special chairs with, with you know, it's kind of rocked inside. But I'm also making sure that I hold the door and I get out of the way. Because I remember, and I was just playing in a wheelchair. But sitting in that seat, sharing in that burden for just a second, increased forever my sensitivity to others who have to navigate that way. And so I'm always on the lookout. Man, oh, can I, that's not motorized. Let me, somebody, you need some needs. You got to, you got to get help. It was, it was, it was just an incredible thing. And all we did to walk or two, you know, you know, kind of get on one leg and then try to balance. I'm like, this is crazy. But once again, you know, that's my grandma. I was like, how do you work this thing without getting like calluses? I was like, you don't. She showed me her hands. She had calluses everywhere. But there's something about sharing in that experience that gave me greater sympathy and gave me greater sensitivity to others who do live in that space, even though I just had a limited time in that space. And so Jesus, being born in the likeness of men, isn't just a standard visit. He's 33 years on earth, 
was one where he came to know explicitly hunger. Jesus knew thirst. Jesus knew pain. Jesus knew deep desire, longing for his people. Jesus knew deep disappointment, having his desire and expectation for people be radically different from the actual outcomes. Even amongst his own disciples, Jesus knew betrayal. People in whom he had poured his life for years, but then to tuck and run when the chips are down and it's time for him to be taken and crucified. Jesus even knows what it means to feel spiritually forsaken. He said these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows exactly that feeling that you have when you say, well, wait a minute, did I buy the wrong Bible? These promises aren't coming through. Am I praying the wrong prayers? This Christianity doesn't seem to be working for me. Now, now I would never say that Jesus questioned his faith or questioned the Father, but clearly there is something about that work on the cross that deeply acquainted the perfecter of our salvation, the author and the finisher of our faith. There is something about his experience on the cross that deeply acquainted him with the full menu of human challenge and experience. Therefore, the scripture says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. Therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace. Talk to him about all of it. But guess what? While that's some beautiful, gritty stuff to preach, it's also a pattern of living that we are called to share in. How am I increasing my capacity for sympathy and affection in the lives of others? And so herein lies the big question of today's text. How has service increased your sympathy for others and your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit? I got a few more points I want to roll out before you think about that or before you, you do it, but here it is. He was formed in the likeness of, of a servant. Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, submitted to the will of his parents, even though he had more authority than them, so to speak. Jesus submitted to the leadership of John the Baptist. Jesus submitted to the leadership of governing authorities, who he actually gave the, the breath in their lungs. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father. There in Luke chapter 22, verse 41, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus knows exactly what it feels like to have an earnest desire for something, to surrender it to the Father, and the Father has a different agenda. He knows that feeling. He knows it explicitly. He knows that reality. And so, Jesus beautifully and wonderfully steps inside of the human situation. Well, the call of the cross and the call of the mind of Christ, which is ours if we are in him, is that we would also serve in ways that allow us to see into the situations of others. When you come up in the morning, there's people out there who wanted to sleep just as long as you did. When you see the setup or you see the worship, there's people out there, there's people that, 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 that curated this moment, if you will, that, 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 that want to walk in your shoes. They have walked in your shoes. They want to have some of the same experiences you do. And I'm saying that, that the church isn't the only place, but man, this is one place where we, we've got these unique serving opportunities where, where, where we need to, not need you because we need you. I'm gonna, let, me, let me work on that. We need you. But we need you to understand that there is a sanctification element where you, your, your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and your sympathy for others who need to be served is increased through service. I want you to notice for just a moment that God who knows all things and can do all things didn't think that messages alone would prepare his son for that work. 
He didn't think that a curriculum at the synagogue or a crash course on servant leadership was enough to prepare the son. Notice that he felt that it was a 33-year class, if you will, that would, that would craft the heart of the son to be the author and finisher of the faith. And so if the Lord believes that for his son it was a lifelong journey to, to develop this kind of sympathy for his people, how much more for us? And so, as the house music comes on, here's the next question that I want you to contemplate with one another. Remember, put you in the sentence, not what other people should be doing. How has serving increased your sympathy for others and your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit? I hear y'all sharing. There's going to be one more opportunity, and then it's going to translate to something else. Wow, you guys love these interactive uh, kind of, uh, what is it, Montessori messages, right? Where we're just like, you know, <laughs> love this. All right, so um, uh, chapter 2 still with verse 8, our third big idea. It says, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Such a small sentence and a simple phrase. And, uh, you know, when I think about salvation as a child or depending on what point and how you came to know the Lord, you know, you may have thought about salvation as simply, hey, just believe these very simple axioms that Jesus died uh, on the cross for my sins and, you know, and I'll get in you know, so to speak, and I won't go there or this other place. And uh, as you grew in the faith or as you are growing in the faith, you come to understand that that simple idea is loaded with implications. Like the, the death of Jesus Christ isn't just um, this beautiful thing in the past. It's something that fully satisfies our greatest need and a great obligation that we didn't even know we had. Borrowing once again from my service analogy, one of my favorite restaurants is Cracker Barrel. Believe it or not, Cracker Barrel. And I've been to other places, right? But uh, what I like about the Cracker Barrel is they've got these people who wear aprons and they've got stars. Have you seen them? So there's this one section that I like to go to. There's a young lady. She's, got the, she's a five-star general, I guess, at you know, Cracker Barrel. Um, and, so she, I, and I asked her one day, it's the total number of years of service. And I was like, okay, okay, well, let me watch. And I was like, can I not get a person with a one star? You know, or has no stars? Just kidding. Um, but anyway, as I go to her section, one of the things that I love about watching this, you know, young, you know, server move is like when she comes to the table, she already comes armed with the waters and the menus. She doesn't ask us if we want waters. If we don't want water, she can just like bring something else out. But she always anticipates by coming with the water, knowing that we'll need menus. She'll pause for just a moment. She never tries to rush us. She'll ask us if we're ready or if we need a little bit more time to make our selections, right? So she'll go away and after, and let's just say I'm ordering. And this is what I love. This is, this is great service acumen. Man, so, so I'll be at the table and sometimes I'm trying to order a la carte. I'm like, I would... I don't know what I want. I, I, I know I want grits. I know I want eggs. I know I want meat. And I know I, want, I might want some pancakes. And so she'll be like this, boom, get the grandpa's sawmill breakfast. And I was like, okay. And I was like, but I don't like this. She's don't worry about it. There's other people at your table ordering that, and we can just give that to them. And I'm like, ooh, like I love this. This is, this is incredible. Like, like not only does she anticipate, but she also got like this whole con this service configuration. She understands my appetite and how it aligns with the menu of offerings and how I can best be served and not pay a ton out of pocket. Like I was like, I love that. I love that service, right? But there's something else that is very simple. She never lets my drink get to the point where you go, and you hear that? Never. Just constantly. As a matter of fact, I have to tell her to go away. And she never has to ask what I'm drinking, right? It's, she knows the water. She's like, that guy had tea. 
and this one had Coke, right? And she's just coming with those and just constantly, as soon as you drink it down, she's filling it back up. And so, but there is something about that. Uh, and I, no, I did not purchase, I didn't buy into a Cracker Barrel and trying to get y'all to go, like after church. <laughs> but, 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 but I love seeing excellence in certain spaces. And this is just a very excellent thing that I saw. And man, how much more does it remind me of the Lord Jesus who fully anticipates the needs of mankind? The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that while we were yet, we were still sinners. God shows us love that while we were still sinners, we were yet in our sin, not knowing des- how desperately we needed God, Christ died for the ungodly. He had already done it waiting for us to come by grace and plug that faith in there. But, but the, the Lord anticipated our needs. But he didn't just anticipate them in general. He is constantly anticipating our needs over time, understanding the churches that we need to be a part of, the relationships and the, the spouses that we need to have. And he's constantly configuring the menu of life experiences to get us to the best place possible. Jesus fully anticipating human need. He totally satisfies it in an incredible way in the work on the cross. It is in the work on the cross that Jesus, he doesn't just die. He voluntarily lays down his life in a substitutionary way. That should have been us. Right? He satisfies our deepest need. It should have been us. It was our greatest obligation. The Bible says that God is angry with the sinner every day. I didn't even know that when I got saved. I didn't know God was angry with me every day. But, but, but the Lord knew that, and, and so as, as grace invaded my heart and cultivated and, and plugged in faith and pulled me forward, uh, uh, and it was, it was incredible. But the Lord anticipated my need on the cross. It was a, not only a voluntary and a substitutionary death, but it was also a necessary one because it totally and completely satisfies the wrath of God against those who think that they could possibly pay for their own sins. And then it is also a victorious death, burial, and resurrection over sin, death, and the devil, the three things that continue to try to plague me even after I place my faith in him. God has got everything thought of. He's like the great server who comes to the table. I'm just going to put this receipt right here. You don't, no rush. You don't have to. Just take it to the register when you get ready. Right? He's like, this thing is already paid for. This thing is already worked out. If you need anything else, let me know. But, but he's fully on board with anticipating our needs. He showed us a burden that we could never carry for ourselves, regardless of how strong we thought we were. He pays a debt that we could not pay, regardless of how much prowess we thought we have in being moral and astute. He provides a helper that we did not know we needed. I had no idea how much I needed the Holy Spirit, but Jesus had already said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'll make sure you have a helper in John chapter 14. And so if we are going to embody this mind of Christ, the mind of the Father, here's the question that I would ask. As God looked through the annals of time and saw the needs of his people and responded to that need, here's the question that I believe is presented to us by today's text. One more working opportunity. What needs do you see and what help can you provide? What needs do you see around you and what help can you provide? Now, to give you just kind of a little bit of a stimulus for that, there should be on the seats in front of each one of you a QR code. It says something about community groups, but if you scan that QR code, it'll actually take you to a public page where we have about seven or eight teams that need folk. I would ask you, sign up. Now, when you go to that page uh, in the next few moments, when you think about where you see needs and and what service can you provide or or, or what help can you provide, man, if you're already on a serving team, that's awesome. But if you're not on one, I'd really, really love for you to to be a part of one of our ministry teams, just meeting a need. You may look at that and say, hospitality, I can't cook. No, but you can chop, right? You may be saying to yourself, set up, that looks heavy. Man, my dad's like 70 plus. 
and he on the setup team. You might be saying that I can't pray. I won't say that there's people on there that can't pray, but, but, uh, uh, <laughs> but, but here's the deal. Prayer is not about having perfect vocabulary. It's just about having a heart. Man, I, I see a need in the lives of God's people. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of the prayer team. Maybe there's others of you who says, you know what? I, I come up over that stairs headed into Gospel Hope, and man, does it warm me to see some smiles and folks standing out there in the cold waiting and anticipating my arrival and give me one of those little bags. Could you perhaps do that? So the skills and all this other kind of stuff that the teams are looking for are clearly listed on the, on the public pages that will pop up with the QR code. I would just ask you to spend a couple of minutes answering that question to yourself. You don't even need to turn to your neighbor. What needs do I see and how can I, and what, and how can I provide help? Scan the QR code, sign up for a ministry team leader to give you a call. And all they're going to do is just explore your interests so when you, when you uh, there's no obligation at this time. There's no 1999 coming or anything like that. It's just when you scan and put your name in the, in the box there or check the box, what's going to happen is one of those leaders is going to give you a call and, and invite you to an interest meeting, if you will, to explore what you might want to do. That's it. There is something beautiful about serving that helps our hearts get done before the Lord. There's something about serving where we share in an expression of the gospel, Right? I'm pretty sure when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples that he wasn't going, oh, I am so good at feet washing. Let me just go ahead and try it on these guys. No, it's just an act of service. And so not all of our service has to emanate from a place where we feel uniquely and specifically passionate, but it can. And so don't let that get in your way. Finally, I say this. In trying to reflect this these echoes of gospel sentiment in the mind of Christ. We're not asking for anyone to become someone else's savior, but we are asking for you to think about what it means to become a server. Paul said earlier in the passage, is there any encouragement, any comfort, any participation in the spirit, any sympathy and affection, any shared love, and if there's any shared mind, all of those service acumens, all those degrees of service are things that each and every one of us are beneficiaries of when we come here each and every morning. And we would just ask you to pay it forward by becoming a part of one of those teams. We've got a goal of looking to add at least 10 people to each of those new teams, 10 new people to each of those teams. It's ambitious, but uh, we put some other ambitious goals out there and God just completely blew them out of the water. And I believe that he can do these too. Um, again, serving. Yes, it is about meeting a need that we have here at the church, but it's also about meeting a need that we have in each one of us as we reflect the mind of Christ, who is the ultimate servant leader. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we come this morning, I hope that something about today's message has helped even my heart more deeply appreciate the opportunity to serve and the call to serve. Thank you for your incredible example that is also a great expectation of the gospel. Help me look at my areas of prowess. And Lord God, if there's some other areas, some additional areas where I need to be serving, Lord God, let me be the first one to be notified. Help, help my heart. Lord God, is there any additional participation of the Spirit? If there, is there any additional sympathy that you desire from me? Lord God, I want to be open before you to be used because I want to get done. I want to, feel, I want to see the gospel from the inside out working in my actual life in this robust way of service like your son. Would you bless us now as we worship you? In Jesus' name, amen.